So Lisa Tamadi, welcome to the show. How, how's everything with yourself? Oh, fantastic, Simon. I'm so excited for this interview. I've been waiting all day. So really, really excited to, to get into some really cool conversations with you. I have to say, like, since Sanjay introduced us both, and I've been able to do my research on you, and I don't think I've ever looked into someone's story so much where it's, it's fascinated. Every single point has opened another door to another amazing thing about you. <laughs> But more well, to the point, you. with the things that you've been through in your life, as well as the thing that you've done, it's just absolutely incredible. Now, Lisa, I, I don't even know where to start really with this because there's just so many different topics that we can throw into. But for someone who's effectively topped up the mileage of running around the world three times, mm -hmm. someone who's ran through pretty much hell, you've run through pretty much the majority <laughs> of the deserts in the world from the outback, you've done one that's illegally you've done some of the biggest altitude ultra events. Like, I, like where, where do we start with this? The biggest thing that I probably get from it is, what fuels you? Where does this fire come from to, to put yourself into so much like uncomfort and discomfort? Uh, you, you know what, Simon, you, you, you don't grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to do all this, this crazy stuff. And, you know, the funny thing is I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. I'm a very emotional girl. I'm, I'm very vulnerable. I'm very, you know, I'm not this machine that you sometimes when you see some of the, the raw statistics of things, you think, oh, wow, she must be hard ass. But I'm not that. I'm someone who's struggled with a whole lot of stuff and had some, you know, mental issues and been through a lot of crap in life, but had a very interesting journey. And really, I think, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite getting on in, in uh, years now. So it, it's just a, a, a lot of, um, a lot of time that you've actually had to have experiences and to share them. And so I grew up in New Zealand in the seventies. Okay. So, um, Kiwi. Probably give away my age. I'm a Kiwi and I had a beautiful Kiwi upbringing as far as like being in the outdoors and really, you know, nature was everything and surfing and I was, a, um, you know, gymnast as a kid. And I think that taught me a lot of discipline. Um, Look, another thing, incredible. We share the same story. I didn't realize really? that. that. I never got to that. Oh, wow. I never got, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, that was when well, I, I started. You know. Oh, wow. That, that makes, Good. yeah. I, I think gymnastics, I mean, it's got its downsides, uh, you know, oh. for sure. But it, it did, it, it teaches you a lot of discipline and a lot of, you know, very early on, you have to be uh, training hard and you have to be focusing and you know I, I did that through my childhood years and then into puberty I started to run into troubles with that because I was too tall yeah. I was heavier than I was meant to be I was not the right body shape etc etc and all of those things absolutely destroyed who I was as a young girl yep yeah that's, got it. that's it really I totally get it that's exactly yeah. the same yeah. thing what I went through I really struggled coming really? away from that sport now that I look yeah, back, yeah. now that I can look back from where I, where I currently stand, I go, yeah, that probably was quite damaging. Uh, exactly. Led to quite a lot, yeah. So yeah, I, I actually watched one of the um, gymnast, uh, gymnastic uh, documentaries on Netflix last night, uh, and I was, I was sitting there in tears because, you know, some of the, the stuff that you went through when you see some of what those girls went through and a lot of what they went through was worse, of course. Um, but the damage that was done, you know, like there was some great sides and we'll get into that, you know, the, the discipline, the training, all that sort of jazz, but man, the abuse, the, 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 
the stealing of your childhood, this taking away your self esteem, you know, and, and making you feel like you're um, nothing was ever uh, good enough. And un, yeah, nothing is ever good. You're, you're overweight when you're not overweight, and you're, you know, all of these things. And that, and that as a um, girl going through puberty, and I suppose as for a young man as well, is pretty tough. And that, 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 that shapes a lot of who you are. And that's definitely had an impact on the direction that I've gone in. And um, looking back now as a 51-year-old, it's really, you know... You're 51. Uh, I can put it. Yeah, I'm old. Stop it. <laughs> but um, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't act it. I certainly don't act my age. And I never intend to. Um, but we, it does give you that perspective of where you, you came from and... And, and all the things you went through and, you know, and why it all happened, you know? And I think that's a great place to be at now, to be fair. It's a good place. It's a good place that I'm in now, you know? Yeah, I, th I always say this. I think as much as at the time gymnastics kind of, it left me in a very lost space when I left. And now that I look back, I actually do own the fact that, that mentally it wasn't great. It left me with a lot of like, you things aren't good enough. Do you know what I mean? X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I, I it, it grounds you in a lot of skills, such as like getting the focus, the discipline, the understanding that if you have something to work towards, and this is what really inspires me about you is like, when you, when you've got your eyes so fixed on an endpoint or the completion of something that's so much bigger than you, it's, it's, it leads to a, a sense of motivation and inspiration like no other. It yep. pulls you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. When you have a really big, strong, focused goal and you go all in on, on things, uh, whatever the project is, you can achieve so much more than what you think you can. And then what you achieve, you always overestimate what you can achieve in a day, as they say, but uh, over a long period of time, you always underestimate what you can actually get done. Um, and if you just keep taking tiny small steps towards your goal, you know, you might be listening to this and you might think, oh, one day I want to run, a, I don't know, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon, something like that. And you go, but oh my gosh, it's, it's huge and I'll never get there. But when you start actually putting one foot in front of the other and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden you're at half an hour of running. Oh my gosh, you know. And then all of a sudden you've done a 5K and then a 10K and then your horizon just lifts a little. And, and each time you lift that horizon to the next level, you have a new set of problems, you have a new set of challenges, but you, you grow with the process. But when you're at the beginning looking at someone who's maybe doing, say, ultra marathons, and you think, I could never get there, and that is so not true. You know, like, so many people can do far more than what they think they're capable of, and not just in the running sense, but just in, you know, we, we, we limit ourselves because we think we can't do it right now. That does not mean we can't do it over a given a bit of time and a bit of focus and a bit of it's encouragement. Totally. I always look at things like this, especially in your, in your, I, I'll jump into a lot more with this, but I always think like we always look at kind of where someone is now. So for example, I was just getting used to running 5k a day. So I just did a 5k a day in May sort of thing, which, which I'm awesome. not going to lie. Like I struggled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I struggled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. you look at people like you, like yourself, if that makes sense. And kind of like for me to compare where I was starting there to you, does that make sense? But, yep. but it all starts, like there would have been a period where you would have been at the 5k mark and then suddenly got to yep. 10k. And then it, so yep. it's, it's kind of work out where you are and, in your race and then build it, build it back. And I tell you what, Simon, if we went for a run together, I bet you're faster than me. 
You know, like there are different types of fitness and there are different types of skill sets that you have. I've never had any speed. You know, like um, I'm, a, I'm a tractor, I'm not a Ferrari. So you put me in a local 10K race and I'll be in the middle of the field and I do not have the genetics to be fast. I have a lot of slow twitch fibers. I have had asthma since I was a little girl. I was in and out of hospital. Um, so I don't have a great lung capacity. I have a very low VO2 max and all of that sort of stuff. However, when it came to going long, that's when, you know, I shined at that. So we all have different skills. And, you know, uh, I was doing an interview this morning with a young lady who was a 400 and 800 meter sprinter. And she was going, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't even talk to you because you're like, and I'm going, no, hell no, I can't talk to you because I can't run 800 meters. You know, like I just cannot get my legs to work fast. They just don't do it, you know? <laughs> so we just have, it's apples and pears and people should never compare one with the other. You know what I mean? Everybody has their skill set and everyone has a talent and it's finding those talents and, you know, nurturing them. Totally. I, I love what you're saying because it literally is find your strengths, find what your talents, your skill sets are, or what you've been given mm -hmm. genetically. Do you know what I mean? I'm never going to be yeah. a basketball player because yeah. I'm just not tall. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a good yeah, sprinter yeah. and I was a good gymnast. Exactly. But you play those things and knuckle in. <laughs> But Lisa, look, your, your story, the things that you've done, the accolades that you've got to your name is vast. Now, very quickly, can you just give us a bit of a sum up of some of the incredible feats that you've done just for some of the, the <laughs> listeners who are new to, to you? Because there's just so many. <laughs> so, oh, it's not at all. Like, it's really not. Like I just said, I'm just old. That's all. So I've been around for a while. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, um, so I've been, um, I've done about 70,000 kilometers. I've estimated that I just over, over the, the course of my running career, if you like, which is like three and a, three times or something around the equator. Um, I've run in, you know, a couple of thousand kilometers in different parts of the Sahara. So the Moroccan Sahara twice, the Tunisian desert, the Arabian desert, Libya desert niger jordan uh the gobi desert um death valley in the usa a couple of times a race over there really cool one uh different parts of the outback of australia and i've run right through new zealand for a charity so i ran 2250 k's in 42 days that nearly bloody killed me um oh. for charity and i've done a few things in the himalayas and the nepalese himalayas and the indian himalayas also, some interesting stories out of that one. <laughs> um, I've failed many times. I've succeeded a few. I've uh, written three books. I've done a lot of documentaries. I'm a serial entrepreneur um, who has failed and succeeded uh, many times over. I'm just someone who loves living life full bore and going hard out. And, and sometimes, you know, I fall flat on my face. Don't get me, you know, don't get me wrong. There's, there's been a lot of, <laughs> there's been a lot of muck ups along the way and I continue to make them, but I am not afraid of failure. And I'm, and that's something I'm very, you know, big about talking about because, you know, I think a lot of us fear failure and we fear embarrassing ourselves. We fear, what am I going to feel if I don't make this big goal that I've set out to do? We, we can't think like that if we're going to get into life. We're just going to take action, prepare as best we can, get good mentors, get good coaches, and go for broke. And sometimes you'll succeed, and sometimes you'll fall on your face. Every single time you will learn something, though. Exactly. I think it's where you place your perception on what failure is. I always, I always say in my speaking gigs, it's like um, the key to successful people is understanding that they are very unsuccessful people who just refuse to give up. 
<laughs> exactly. It's and so that's true. exactly my approach to life is just every time not, uh, life knocks the crap out of you, and it does, and you live long enough, it'll start to knock the crap out of you. Um, you just have to learn to be able to get back up. And I think that is the key to success ultimately is, is um, being able to bounce back up. Every time you get knocked down, it can't standing back up and taking another step. And, and that's something that running teaches you very, very well. Because you, you, you have times where you're vomiting on the side of the road, you passed out, you've got hypothermia, you've got them in heat stroke, whatever it is, you, you feel like dying, you, you're in the middle of some desert somewhere, you're all alone, you're scared, whatever the, the situation is. But if you can find that courage and the energy to get back up onto your feet and just take that next step, yeah. then you will succeed eventually in many of the things that you set out to do. Not all of them, but many of them, you know? Yeah, I always think the, uh, the incredible thing about hitting rock bottom is that when you hit the bottom, you tend to bounce. Understanding where you're going to get that elevation to bounce up from. (laughs) Lisa, look, like with this sort of stuff, you've literally gone all in on yourself, on the, I I always call them missions, but on obviously the journeys and the the incredible Mm -hmm. things that you've done. Now, for a lot of people, I really feel like the thing that I love about you as well is like the way that you speak about things like psychologically and you're so articulate with it. I, I tend to find that a lot of people from the business world, I tend to find that a lot of people when you speak to them in the wellness world, they struggle to commit to something to go all in on. This can even throw itself uh-huh. into relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd love to speak to you about this, like, because obviously when you go all in, it hones in your discipline. It hones in yep. your focus. You suddenly know what you need to do. It creates certainty and clarity. So, for you, what does it mean to go all in? And how have you really, how does that fuel you to do these incredible things that you've done? Um, I think this is a really a big part of my philosophy is when I take on a project, I do like, I, 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 I do contemplate it now. Like at the beginning in my early years, I just jumped in, had no idea what I was in for and, you know, sort of jumped out of the airplane and then think, oh, shit, I haven't got a parachute. Uh, better find, you know, <laughs> as I've got older, I try to sort Someone of will throw me one down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone, someone throw me a lifeline here. Um, now I try to prepare a little better, okay, as I'm older and wiser. I think I'm older and wiser. Um, but I want to share a really important story with you that really illustrates this point beautifully. Um, and I've just re- released a book called Relentless. Um, this is this one here. It's the third book, um, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. Um, and this book is a story of going all in. So uh, four years ago, my mum, who is, is the rock of my world and the most amazing, lovely woman, you know, just an incredible mum. And she supported me through all the ups and downs that I put her through. Goodness knows how she survived. But uh, four years ago, she had a major aneurysm, which is a bleed in the brain. So, you know, we got that terrible phone call on that morning and um, mum's been taken to the hospital. She's collapsed. And when this happened, uh, we had a, a, a very big medical misadventure, if you like. The doctor thought she was having a migraine, ignored us for six hours, left her there, basically dying. Um, blood pouring into her brain from this first uh, aneurysm. 
And that was a massive lesson for me because at that time I never knew, didn't know what the heck to ask for. I didn't know what was happening to her. I had no idea. I just saw my mum was in incredible pain and just really, and she's the sort of person who would die quietly rather than make a fuss, right? She was, you know, very, very tough and very, so when I saw her screaming, I knew we were in deep trouble. Anyway, after six hours, we finally got the diagnosis. She's got a, a, a massive aneurysm. They didn't think she was going to survive. Um, and then they had to uh, take her in a, an airplane down to a, um, a hospital in Wellington, a few hours away from us, because our local one didn't have facilities. Took 18 hours to get her into the original surgery, and she was amazing. She survived that time, and she was in and out then of a coma for the next three weeks. And after that initial misadventure, I sort of realized that, you know, doctors and the medical profession are humans like the rest of us, and they make mistakes. And if I was going to have, I, I, I just promised myself if I had a second chance with my mum, if I, if I was given a second chance with her, I would do whatever it takes to get her back and to help her through this horrific journey. And, and I, you know, I, I, I then started to take responsibility and started to do my own research and started to question everything and look at everything that the doctors were doing. Um, and we had some brilliant surgeons who did some amazing surgery and that saved her life. Um, and then I studied everything I possibly could after three weeks in this critical phase, my mum came out of that and she stabilised, but she had basically no higher function left. So she was like a baby in a woman's body. She had no ability to communicate. She had a couple of single words, but she didn't really know how to speak. She didn't know how to control any of her bodily functions or any of her limbs. Um, she was paralysed uh, completely on the right side from an extra stroke she'd had during an operation. On top of it all, she had no idea I was a daughter or what you know what was what was happening to her. It was horrific to see and to view. And you wonder when someone is still alive, where has their soul gone? Where is their where is their person gone? You know, and this brain damage was so massive. And so then I, I started to study what what can I do? You know, how can I help my mum? And I've done a lot of stuff at altitude. So I was seeing things, even when she was in the hospital, that she, that she looked to me like hypoxic uh, brain issues. So she was not getting enough oxygen. And I went to the doctors and I said, I want a sleep apnea test and I want to put on oxygen. And they refused to do it. They said, no, nah, that's waste of time. We don't need to do that. She's fine. So I been bored in an outside consultant because, you know, what I did learn in this in the whole medical thing was you have to, to be assertive and you, you have to take control to a certain degree and you 100%. have to fight for what you want. So I, I brought in an outside consultant against their wishes, got in big trouble, didn't really care. Did the, the assessment, it came back severe sleep apnea, like down at 70% oxygen levels at night time. So she would wow. not have lived for another maybe, maybe six, seven weeks perhaps before she would have died from the lack of oxygen so she was stopping breathing at night so that was my very first win so we got so her on effectively a sleep it was a slow starvation of oxygen yep yeah so she was suffocating to death slowly like knocking off what little brain cells and functions she had left was being knocked off and she was sleeping 20 hours a day right because she was completely Just no you know, on and and so this was a really crucial factor um so then i had that win and we got her on a cpap machine which kept her, her ear going and so on 
Um, and then I went, okay, what else can hyper, uh, what else can oxygen do? And I came across something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend had said to me, hey, check out this. And hyperbaric, I don't know if you know what hyperbaric is, but it's a really powerful therapy for oh, so many things. It's a real broad spectrum therapy that hyper oxygenates the body. And it's what they use in di the dive industry when divers get the bends, right? So I did all this research in, in America. I followed a Dr. Hartch who'd written books and had all these studies. And I saw people with massive brain damage come back to being fairly good after enough of these treatments. And I thought this, I have to get my mum access to this. Now we didn't have one of these, you know, like we don't have clinics of them here. Um, yeah. Really, I did find eventually, but as soon as I, uh, she was in hospital for three months and I had a real battle to get her home because they just wanted to shove her into a hospital level care facility. So I really fought to get her home and get a little bit of support. Um, Anyway, long story short, I got her, as soon as I got her out of the hospital, I found a commercial dive company and I went to these guys and I said, guys, you've got a hyperbaric chamber. I've got this situation. This is my research. Would you please help me? And these wonderful people said, yep, we'll do it. We'll sign, sign a legal waiver. So you take legal and full medical responsibility for her and we will do it. Um, incredible. I can never thank them enough. Um, they put her through two hours a day, basically, uh, five days a week. And so you can, can you imagine, you've got this 74-year-old, yeah. really frail, really sick woman. You're, I'm, I'm carrying her down in, the, you know, in, a, in a wheelchair down to this facility. We're putting her on a forklift to get her into this big chamber inside wow. a big factory, right? So completely the tiny chambers the as well, these small chambers. Well, yeah, and you can't, you have to step into them, right? And so yeah. she's unable to move so we had to use a forklift and we had we came up with solutions we got her in there we did this treatment for 33 treatments and then my mum started to respond and she started to wake up and well, I can only I can only express it as waking up she she started to have a little bit of a flicker of intelligence behind her eyes she was trying to speak she was trying to communicate she was trying so to like move the her soul hands. returned like, yeah 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 it was just like oh my gosh this is working um, and so then uh, I lost access to the chamber because it had to be taken off on a contract. So then I mortgaged the house. I bought a hyperbaric chamber. I installed it in my house, which um, believe me was not a simple thing to do. And then I put her through over the next um, two and a half years, another 250 sessions. And then as I got her back, Little bit by little bit, I I studied everything from functional neurology, which is study of eyes and the vestibular system. I studied uh, nutrition and put her on a keto diet. I um, supplements galore, nootropics, uh, epigenetics, functional genomics, everything. I just deep science bubble for the last four years. I spent the first three years of that seven days a week, eight hours a day working with her on her rehabilitation program. And the upshot of it, all of this is, and this is the point of it, right? Is going all in despite not knowing. Because everybody told me there is no heart, no show. You have no chance of getting her back from this. She will she would make her comfortable and you know let her go was the was the message I was getting. And you you you'd be like me, you'd like, nah, I'm not <laughs> bugger that. I'm gonna fight with everything I have. And so I did, I fought with everything yeah. I had. At that point I'd stopped doing the, the long distance running. It's not an option. You just don't you don't give up. Like, it's always no, baffled me. Not when it's happened to, I've I've had that yeah. and it's 
Yeah. Really? Yeah, I've had a, something that? similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or, it's just like when, yeah. when you're in a helpless position, do you know what I mean? It's like, no, you'll, yeah. you'll do what it takes. Um, there's a, yeah. my, I've not had it to, to that extent, but my, my grandmother. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously, I, I actually studied functional medicine at one point. So I kind of got a good oh. uh, understanding behind wow. kind of like what really goes on. And nutrition isn't yeah. just nutrition. Like there's a lot of things no. that you can really do to amplify someone's health. And it, it came to my gran. Uh, my gran suffers with uh, Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So effectively, it's it's not really Alzheimer's, it's more like dementia sort of thing. But we're just yep. seeing this slow transition from this amazing, strong lady of, yeah, of who kind of brought me up. She was my number one person. She always used to take me to oh. gymnastics. She was the one that always stood yep. by my side. Do you know what I mean? She's like mm -hmm. number one, mm -hmm. number one human in the world is my grand. But um, mm -hmm. over over the years, we've started to see this slow decline. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, because doc doctors only can use the tools that they know. So it's nothing personal there. Yeah, but, um, but it's limited, position, isn't it? It's, it is it's very limited. I think, well, I, in England, so I don't more. know if it's the same with you, but they only get an hour in a seven year, yeah. I think it's six or yep. seven years course, in they nutrition. get one hour of nutrition through that entire I know. course. I but know. It was similar to my gran. They were, they were, they were given a calcium, they were, they were given a things that only exaggerated the inflammation. And I was there, I was like, no, 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 do these, do these, do these. So it was a very similar story where it's like, you don't just, there's more Absolutely. than one opinion. And yeah. Have you, and how is she, like, is she still with us? And she's, yeah, yeah. You know, she's, she she's, she's just, she's level. So there was a period where yep. you could sit, you could really, it, well, the, the, the fun thing, this goes back a bit further. I actually called it. So before this happened, my yep. grandma was having stomach issues. Yep. And I was very young at the time. I was like 21, 22 or so. And if you can imagine going to your family and saying, look, guys, I know what's going to happen here, but I know what it's going to lead to. So I was yeah, like, yeah, look, yeah. it might be diverticulitis now, but the, if this isn't addressed and we don't do this, it's going to lead to this. Wow. And it kind of got to a position where it got Did to that listen? where people, and it got to that point where it's like, oh shit, he was. He's right. He, yeah. So it got to that point. And then it was like, okay, we'll go get some D3, magnesium, We'll start doing this stuff. Uh, maybe the calcium tablets that the the doctor have got her on aren't the right thing because she's leaching it. So it kind of got yep. to that position. But um, yeah, I I I understand. In you, you for I mean, because this is this is the thing, um, and this is going off into a real tangent now of yeah, yeah. medical stuff. But there is <laughs> allopathic medicine, and then there is functional and integrated medicine, and biohacking, and there is the, there is so much research happening in the world right now that there is no way any one doctor can be up on it all. And certainly not your local doctor, you know? The funny so thing you is, this show is going to gonna follow up on exactly this. So your show is actually going right. to follow on from someone who's a, actually a, a, a very renowned uh, functional doctor when yeah. we're talking about this. So it kind of fits in perfect. Wow. And this is what, yeah, this is what I have on my show too, because I've got a podcast called Pushing the Limits. And I have... I selfishly search out the best scientists, best doctors, best researchers so that I can get my mum to the next level, basically. <laughs> and for my clients and for me, you know, so what this journey taught me. So after, to cut a long story short with my mum, uh, after three years, um, she was basically back to full health, you know, and now we're four years in. Um, she has her full driver's license. She has her full independence again. She has her full power of attorney over her life. And this is for a, uh, someone incredible. at age, yeah, and she's 78. So I've gone, I've taken her brain from custard 
and it was you know like nothing there lights on nobody home to fully functional in a four-year period with someone aged 74 to 78 and i still haven't come across somebody who's done that in that age group um, and, and this is, you know, like you say, the right supplements, the hyperbaric was a huge piece of that puzzle. Um, uh, and, and, and there was just so many pieces, but it was chucking mud at the wall. And at the beginning, just like you faced, everybody was just laughing in my face saying, what the hell are you doing? Or criticizing me because I was putting her through a really arduous, painful often routine and pushing her and pushing her and pushing her. And people were like, why don't you just let her be comfortable? People do not need to be comfortable. We need challenge. We need goals. We need people to stand alongside us and say, this is the way we're going. And I'm going to help you get there. And I've got your back. And I'm going to take you all the way with me. And when you have that driving force, then you have a small chance of coming back. Yeah, well, would you agree with that one? I totally agree. Um, think of the the primary objective of a virus. Weird that we're speaking about this is to make mm. you horizontal. It's to knock yep. you out so that the virus can get worse. And mm -hmm. I think when you stop, it's a similar thing that when you kind of like it's the mentality as well. Does that make sense? So if someone like if you're horizontal, if you're sad, if you're like yep. ill, and you're telling yourself that you're ill, you're yep. going to bring in more of that. Your, your body yep. will will follow um mm -hmm. so, and that's but, one of the reasons why i like i i really wanted to get mum as soon as i could out of the rehabilitation situation and into a gym situation where she was surrounded by young athletes and i treat her like one of my athletes that i'm training because we train athletes so so i treat her as if she's going to her olympics and she is surrounded yeah. by people who are going for it. She's surrounded by young people and older people who are out there doing it. And that is really key, I think. Would you say a big thing for her was when she realized that she had a goal and she had a purpose. Yeah. She had something oh, yeah. to, it was, not, was that yeah. kind of a big turning point? Where, yeah, so the it, first year she had, like the first year she had no awareness of who she was or what she was. She had no idea of what had happened to her. And then at about a year into it, she started to really come and realize what was happening to her. And then the, the loss and the grief sort of hit her, but you know, but she's such a trooper. And this is the key factor. I could be the driving force, but she, once she came back, was just as much she was willing to do whatever it took to come back. And I knew how to push her buttons. And I say that in a way that I know how to motivate her. I knew what moved her and I knew her why. And her why is her family. She loves us to pieces. She didn't want to leave us. She didn't want to be a burden. She didn't want any of these things that she was going through. So she was willing to fight like crazy. And that, so she's, she's never been an athlete in that sense or anything, but my gosh, this is where the strength comes from is her. She, um, she, she, she gets up every day. She has a smile on her face. She goes to training. She does all the things I asked her to do. We'll have to get her on the show. Her ability. Oh man, she's amazing. She's just epic. Um, and she's very quiet and just lovely. Just a real mummy type, you know, but but that quiet ability to just keep fighting, I, I really admire my mum. And if I'd had, you know, if it had been anybody else, 
who you know fought with me who, who wouldn't do what I said I, we wouldn't have got her back but she was willing to and there was one special um, story I'll tell the story like we were a year and a half in I think uh, around about from into the rehab so she just started to take her first steps and walking a little tiny weeny bit um, and she was mostly still in the wheelchair we're in an electric wheelchair and she couldn't drive like she'd smashed smash into the walls we had holes in our walls in our house you know like she couldn't drive the chair and I just like black to, marks all down the page <laughs> just bonk in the chair and and I said to mum I said to her one day I'm going to teach you to drive and she could not drive her wheelchair and my brothers looked at me I've got two younger brothers and they were just like you've got to be kidding. You can't take, you know, she's never ever going to drive in this lifetime. This is just, you just, now you're being ridiculous, okay? No and they just didn't believe in me. And even, even though I, you know, already achieved some fairly phenomenal stuff with her. And I said, you watch, you doubters. And I went down to this closed off car park in, at nighttime and I, and I got mum and we waddled her around the other side of the car. And I said, you're gonna drive mum, sit in that seat and off you go. So I showed her how to turn the key on. I showed her how to put it into gear. It was an automatic, so she didn't have to do the clutch and stuff. And we went around this empty car park. And the first, like, the first, when I was sitting there and she's looking at me like, are you serious? You know, she could hardly speak, but she was like, are you serious? You're going to let me drive the car? Like, she couldn't go to the toilet by herself. She couldn't wash her teeth by herself. She couldn't do anything. And I'm telling her to drive the car. And then I just saw this grin from ear to ear as she realized that she was going to, like I believed in her. When you believe in someone, man, it opens doors. And so she was right. And I, and I was yes. terrified to be fair. I had my heart in my throat, but there was no cars in the car park. And I thought, well, what can, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I can reach across and I can grab the wheel or whatever. Um, so she tottered off really slowly and she went round this car park and we went round and round and round and the smile got bigger and bigger. And I said to mum, and there you go, mum, you are going to drive again if it's the last thing we do and we're going to show everybody. And we secretly, because we had to do it secretly over the next six months because we weren't actually allowed to be doing this, but we were driving and practicing in the car park and then we went up and down this little quiet country road and then after about eight months later, Later, um, I said to her, right, now we're ready to go to the doctor and we're going to get a medical done and we're going to get your driver's license. And I, we went to the doctor and the doctor had been there at the very beginning and he had seen her a few months in. Um, she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't speak, she couldn't do anything. And then he came out to get her out of the waiting room and said, you know, Mrs. Tamati, um, and, and he expected her to be there in a wheelchair and being pushed in by me. And my mum got up and walked in and said, I'm here to get my driver's license. And he just, like, he, he started crying. The doctor started crying. And he was just dancing around her as she was walking in going, oh my God, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. I've, I've never seen anything, because he'd seen her at her worst. And he said, yeah. I've never ever seen this in my entire life, I've never ever seen wow. this. Um, and, 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 and I told him everything that we'd been doing in the meantime and what we were doing. And, and I said, we're here to get the driver's license. So can you do all the eye tests and all that sort of stuff that she has to do? And we did all that. She passed with flying colors. And he said, yeah, off you go. You can go and sit your license. You have to go and do the test with the driving instructor. Uh, but we'll do it. And so 
we were like, woohoo, we've got, we've got the medical back. You know, you're allowed to go and do your driver's license. And I was like, to be fair, I was still thinking, I don't know if we're going to get through, you know. And I booked her in for a driving test with a driving instructor. And that's terrifying for a 17-year-old, you know, but let alone a 78-year-old or six-year-old, she was at the time. Took her down there. And the first time we went round and she failed. She failed. She did one something wrong on the way around and I'm like I'm standing there and I'm putting her in the car and I'm, I'm it, trying not to Was it like the reverse of a proud mum moment like oh yeah it was yeah. it was like sending my five-year-old <laughs> to school mommy. yeah it was complete role reversal I had to I had to sneak it into the driver's seat and like pull her, you know like holding her as we walked around the car so that he couldn't actually see how crippled she still was yeah and put her into the car and then he you know she drove off and um did a round course with him and he came back and said oh well you failed on on this couple of points and and I was devastated I was in tears I thought I've set her up for failure and oh you know it's just dreadful yeah and my mum turns to me and she goes Oh, that's all right, darling. We'll just come back and try again in a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll be right. So we had to go through the what whole a thing. Chum. Right. And we, I, I said, all right, I'm going to get you a driving instructor this time because obviously, I, you know, I wasn't a very good teacher at driving. So for two months, we did this with driving instructor and she learned the, the latest road code and all that sort of jazz. And then she went back and she said it again. And this time she passed with 100%. Like she just nailed it. And um, he, he came across with his little congratulations certificate. You've got your license back. And my oh, wow. mum was just like, wow, you know, this is just the coolest moment. And then I went back home to my brothers and mum walks in and she goes, well, there you go. You know, <laughs> here's my license. I've got my full driver's license. And my brothers just went like uh, mouth open, dropped. I, I never ever thought you'd get that, Mum. I have to take my hat off to you. This is insane. But I'm not getting in the car with you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, really? You've got to believe in people. And I, I, it took me another six months to actually let her drive by herself just because of parking and things and getting yeah. in and out of the car. Uh, but now she's stolen my car and she's given me her one and she drives around all over the place and she's fully independent again. So that's my going all in story. What an Sorry, it was a bit long. Incredible story. That is that's absolutely cool. amazing. There's something I want to touch up on that, and I think it's quite big for our audience. Is like the thing that I love about it is there's have you seen the film The Matrix? Yeah. Like the 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 first film is all about like believing in yourself. There's lots of hidden conscious spiritually messages intertwined in the matrix. I strongly recommend yeah. you watching all three if you've not is. watched them for a while. But there's yeah. a part where like Neo is full of belief, like no no self-esteem, no confidence, complete doubt and everything. There's a moment where it's like going, he's beginning to believe. And I think when you have people such as you, when you believe in someone so much that they can rekindle that belief in themselves to try again is mm -hmm. such a powerful thing. And in, in yeah, that yeah, aspect yeah. of turning someone around who the world nearly gave up on her. Yep, exactly. And, and this is why like, like your show and the work you do, you are one of those types of people like me who 
love to believe in people and love to help and empower people to be the best that they can be. And a lot of people have never had anybody encourage them. A lot of people have just been told their whole way through, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? You're nothing special. You know, whatever these negative messages that we've, and then somebody who they respect perhaps because they've done something or they've achieved something. So they respect them and they come along. You know, when I, when I, when I take on an, an athlete or something or, or you know, and I don't work with the elite athletes. I work with everyday people that are just wanting to do their first 5K or their first marathon, whatever it is, Every everyday people. And I, when I say to them, this is the way forward, this is how we're going to do it, and I know you can do this, and I believe in you, all of a sudden, their, their doubts that they had that they would ever be able to take on something like that is gone. Because I've said they can do it, so I must know what I'm doing. So they, their belief is then rekindled in themselves. And then you give them the structure and you give them the, the guidelines and the training and off they go. And that it's doubt crazy. is gone. And so that yeah. limitation is gone. It's crazy. Oh, it's, it's quite it's upsetting crazy. sometimes when you, when you got to think like all the people, some people are just, they get so stuck and into such a bad place and all it takes, it can take something so small as just a little belief from a friend. Someone exactly. just supporting you a little bit can be the, the, the match to strike to light the cannon. Absolutely. And, and that's what I love about what, yeah. what I do and what you do probably as well yeah. is, is we get to light that match very often. And, yeah. and, and it's so beautiful when you see people suddenly, you know, for the want of a better word, blossom and grow yeah. and achieve. It's just, it's just gold, I reckon. Yeah. So I, I look, anyway, let's get, let's get back to your story. Your mother's amazing. <laughs> incredible <laughs> story. Incredible amazing. story. We'll get her yeah. on the show another day. But look, look, <laughs> you've, you've done a lot of things. And the biggest thing that stands out for me is you're mentally tough. Now, when I was doing more of my research, you underwent some pretty incredible distance challenges, which already push you to the point of, you get to a point in doing these sorts of things where you, you do, I think you summed it up perfectly, where you do have like the, the devil and the driver on, on your shoulder. Does that make sense? The devil and the God. One oh, telling you yes. that you can still go and one yep. telling that you can't. I use that and, analogy a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I think there was one race in particular where your it was either a boyfriend or a husband at the time broke up with you when you were halfway mm -hmm. through the race. Which Living if you can think you're already you're already in the pain cave at a hundred percent doing <laughs> the feats that you do, and then that curveball comes and slaps you in the face. Yeah. Now, with yeah. mental toughness and resilience. Like, talk to me about that. Like, how do you, how did you get from that point and that massive well, strike yeah. of adversity at that point as well? <laughs> this has happened to me twice in my life, so I don't know what I have a problem with losing uh, boyfriends in the, in the deserts or husbands. Um, <laughs> hey, um, at least it's happening room. in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good place to lose. It's not, them, the, it's not a good place uh, at the time, really, is it? <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, that's another couple of books worth of stories there. But um, the uh, so I was doing this this uh, crossing of a Libyan desert, right? And this was an expedition, not a not a race. So we were crossing a 250 kilometer area, roughly, and it was a military barred area, so we weren't allowed to be there, illegal. 
um, and it was four of us. So my, my boyfriend at the time, my fiance at the time, and um, we were, I, up until that point, I'd been, you know, five years in this relationship, it had been very, shall we say, abusive, <laughs> to say what it was. Um, it was very, you know, putting me down all the time. I was hopeless. I was never good enough. Oh, like an emotional, right? emotional chips. And then chips. head off, head off and, yeah, 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 yeah. Some issues, shall we say. So anyway, we're in the in this desert, but we had to carry our entire water supply uh, for the entire trip on our back. So we only had two liters of water a day, and the temperatures were around the forty degrees in the middle of the day. Um, and then it would get really cold at night. Plus, you had your food and your your you know um, sleeping bags. So we couldn't carry more than twenty liters. I had a backpack that was 35 kilos and at the time I was about 59, 60 kilos. So that was, you know, more than half my body weight. And we were walking uh, 45 kilometers a day was our goal. Um, and we didn't know the terrain that we were going to be going through because all we had were pilot maps. This was a really unexplored area, wow. right? So all we had were, we could see that there was this like mountain thing, but we thought it was a flat top mountain. But what it ended up being was a hundred mountains that went up and down, up and down. So we were ended up climbing up and down these, these, these you know, little mountains. Um, and the dehydration was extreme, um, so not to anyone who knows anything about deserts and water supply would know that two liters is not enough no. to survive, but we literally couldn't carry anymore. So really naive, really stupid. But the guy who was- Was it one of those where a, it's like, look, if worse comes to the worst, we, we're drinking our own urine? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Nothing's coming out. Um, so we had the, the guy that was in charge, he was a Yugoslavian survival expert. He had been in this area 20 years earlier and he'd always wanted to cross this desert. And I've been in a lot of deserts, but this was the most beautiful, amazing place on, I've ever seen. Like just limestone formations and crystal, mountains of crystal and coral growing out of the sand like it would have been when it was covered in the sea and it was just pristine and never been touched so incredibly beautiful place to go through um and what happened in the middle of the desert so because we were all severely dehydrated our temper tempers were short um this was the first time we'd ever been with other people and there was a lot of the um the, the, the boyfriend was uh, doing photography and he wanted me to help him with the photography because we wanted to do a book. We didn't end up doing it, but he wanted me to help set up the shots. And the leader of the expedition, Elvis, and that was his real name, um, said that we had to keep up if we were going to do the photography because we had to keep moving, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you can't stop, can you? It's, you, you can't stop because... Exactly. light. Exactly, exactly. And um, so... The, the, the boyfriend was a real perfectionist and he wanted these perfect set up shots and he wanted me to help set them, set them up. And I literally couldn't. I was at the end of my abilities just to move forward with 35 kilos on my back, right? I, I just was not physically able to keep up and do that. And, and the, so the leader of the expedition was like, like, lay off her. You know, she can't do that. Yeah, that's just, you know, ridiculous. And, it, and so it ended up this big fight between the two alpha males type thing. And um, on day four, we, fit, we were all suffering. So we were shitty and short-tempered. Um, and it was really, really difficult. 
uh, he decided to leave me. Five-year-long relationship. He's leaving me in the middle of the Libyan desert. We're all in dire straits, like severe dehydration. I don't know whether he's going to live or I'm going to live or, you know, it's really getting to that point where you're like, whoa. And, and so he, he packs up his gear and he literally has a, you know, a big fight and then leaves me in the middle of the desert and I, leaves me with the other two guys, but leaves. And I'm like, you know, like my part of me is heartbroken and in turmoil and, and, and about to start crying. And then I'm like, hang on a minute. I can't, you know, like I've got to pull myself together because I have to focus because I've got two other guys that I owe it to, to get through and not be a mess. And they're looking at me like, oh my God, this is a hysterical woman that we've got with us you know how are we going to get this through and I'm like nah I've got to pull my stuff together so I learned in that moment really to compartmentalize my emotions from what I had to do and that was a, you know a good lesson to learn in some ways and it's not an easy one but it, it was helpful so he left and uh, he was much better stronger fitter athlete anyway and he ended up getting through a day ahead of us we did manage to get out we went through hell we went through sandstorms I had to the point where my whole central nervous system was starting to break down hallucinations yeah. just passing out constantly um, and it was really on the edge of of just you know just managed to sort of survive it, and it through scraped it through and came through out of that so like my kidneys were had had massive damage and um and psychologically i was in a really bad space when we did get out into the oasis and we had to like we're coming back into this next oasis at the end of this track and we had to like crawl under the military towers and the, the, the military camp that surrounded this oasis and i'm just like <laughs> absolutely numb like i should have been scared right like these big dudes with bloody machine guns and I'm a, in an Islamic country as an unmarried woman in the middle yeah, of the yeah, desert yeah. in a military barred area if we'd been caught we would have been in deep deep trouble me especially and um and I, I had no more emotions left I was just like didn't care you know just was like I remember just you know sucking on my very last lolly as we went past going oh yeah that's I'm trying to be really quiet and following Elvis and it was really quite bizarre um, and, you know, got through that and that was a turning point in my life because it was like, and no more, and no more. I am going to run my own life. And, and it took me a, a, a couple of years physically to, to recover and repair and mentally a lot, lot longer than that. But it was a time when I, I actually started to, to do things for myself and started to rebuild. And this is where running rebuilt who I was. So a couple of years later, I ended up doing the Marathon de Sables once I'd recovered. And this yeah, is a yeah. famous ultramarathon in Morocco. Can you just, a, that's one of the killer ones. Can you just, for our audience, just tell them what that is? It's a cool one. It is it's a cool one. In, it's a, insane. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool one. It's, it's, it, this was uh, 240Ks across the Moroccan Sahara. And it's a big, famous race. And back then, this is going back uh, 25 years ago, um, it was or 20 years, was it 22, something like that. Um, anyway, it's 
it was just this epic event where you got 700 runners back then and they're all moving every day. It's like a big military operation. You're going across the Sahara, you've got all these amazing people. You've got nine liters of water a day. You've got to carry all your food and stuff on your back so you're self-sufficient, but they set up the camp at the stops every night. Um, and I was like, at that point I hadn't even run a marathon. I didn't, I wasn't into long distance running, but I'd done all this trekking and adventure stuff. And so when I was reading in the magazine about this, I was thinking, this is touted as the toughest race on earth. And I reckon I can do this because I've done that Libyan stuff. And that was like same dis distance, but you know, two liters of water a day, no doctors, yeah. no support, no outside help. And then, you know, and very difficult man. <laughs> and illegal and all the rest of it. So I thought, hang on a minute, I reckon I can do that. You know, there's just that little voice in your head that says, I think you can do that. And so I signed up for it and I managed to get some sponsors and I got down there and it was the first time I was alone. I was on, by my, you know, I was um, doing something for me. And I did this event and it was just changed my life because it was, I was surrounded for the first time by positive, amazing, incredible people who told me I was fantastic and I was doing really well. And my self-esteem at the time, I really needed that. I needed people to tell me I was good. And I just Believe in thrived you as well. on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and be encouraging. And you were all on this mission together. And yes, it was hard, but you were like going through it together. And the brother and sisterhood feeling that I got in that thing was just wonderful the comradeship and so that was the beginning of the end so then it was just back-to-back -back ultra marathons from there i just wanted more and more and more <laughs> so that was my actually my start into running per se so that was the yeah. one that kind of like got you into it then so that's how this all it was the catalyst so it was yeah, the bounce was back the so if it wasn't for a man leaving you in the desert and <laughs> probably not the right time put you put your toys back in the pram sort of moment but you know what i mean it led in, it's led into this so yep incredible. So it was good. Exactly. It if it wasn't for that, out. you wouldn't be on this podcast. Exactly. So I have a lot to thank him for. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. But I, I'd love to kind of speak to you about that. Like, obviously, with with you, it's you. You have these things. Is it? Would you say it's more intuition? Is it like you can do that? Go and do it. What? Like you said before, there was like a little voice that was like, "You should do that." What? What yeah, kind yeah. of like sets the tone for where you go with these? Yeah, I mean, uh, that one in particular was very much I wanted to prove, even though he, you know, he was out of my life and so on, I still wanted to prove to him something and to myself that I wasn't the useless. And so I thought this was a good way to do it in a controlled environment, you know what I mean? And it was my first attempt at doing something alone for myself, you know, and doing something still epic. And that just went on from there because when you have a positive amazing experience and you you'll watch ultra marathoners you know like i coach a lot of them and their first one uh, uh you know absolutely terrified and they get through their first one and they're like oh what next where's the next big epic challenge and they're off you know and they're off for the and then i've got to slow them down and go whoa 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 because you know they just and i did this too they end up doing too many and overtraining and blowing themselves out and getting sick sense, the, the sense of the achievement and the success <laughs> completely drowns out the noise of the pain the discipline yeah. the sacrifice <laughs> the amount of yeah. time yeah. effort and money that's gone into it for that for that week of it's all a, gone. <laughs> it's like, let's do it's it again <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, you get through, you get over the finish line, and the first thing out of there, someone's mouth is, "I'm never ever doing that again." And usually within 24 to 36 hours, it's they're on the net looking for the it's next so one. Good. It's so funny. <laughs> it's really funny to watch, and I just giggle now because I, that was me. You know, I was. I, just I'd love to speak about this actually. Um, I've just I don't know if you've watched it. Strongly recommend it. I'm not. I, I, I was a big fan of wrestling when I was younger. And a lot yeah, of the yeah. like entrepreneurial people who have been in like, look, you need to go and watch The Undertaker's new documentary. Mm-hmm. And it's on about this mindset. I did not expect this conversation to go this way. But the <laughs> entire course of that documentary, The, the Undertaker's, consi- con- he knows he needs to stop. He knows he needs to leave. And it's getting to a point where it's like every match that he goes into, because yep. he's an old guy. And it's taken him a yeah. year to, because he's like the main card for this big event. So... A year right. of his life goes into one event to show up wow. and do it. Yeah. And like, yeah, even though it yeah. is fake as it is, it's still, it's still so physically massive. demanding. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it gets totally. to this point where the, the end of the documentary is, he, it's like, it's his final one. And then he comes back yeah. and does another one. He's like, no, it's not the right one. <sighs> it's, it's like, there's another one in there. He, he's addicted to that. Home. And he's got exactly that. And I think it'd be amazing. Like, for me, I got into that with gymnastics. It took yep. me two years. Have you yep. got to the point where, do you know what I mean? Like, is there something within you that keeps saying, Lisa, come on, there's, there's more. We can do more. We can do more. Is it, do you know what I mean? Where? Uh, and, 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 and I've definitely, um, and I was almost forced into retirement because of mum's journey. And I don't even like calling it retirement. I've just changed my focus. Um, but I, I, don't, I, haven't, I don't do the long stuff now. And I really struggled that. I mean, I had a bloody good excuse. I had to look after mum around the clock. Okay, so that that was not a, that was, but it it was way overdue, like The Undertaker. I should have, I should have pulled out probably four or five years earlier. And I'd had a couple of major failures in my last couple of ones when my body was just broken. And I was, I was burnt out. Exactly the same, And I and I and I couldn't let go because who the hell am I if I'm not this crazy hard ass ultra marathon runner? Then I'm nobody. And that was the that was what I was struggling with. And to be honest, it still pops its head up even now. Uh, it, but the more I talk about it and the more I go, no, hang on a minute. You know, you got other priorities in life, and, and that's okay. But it took it's taken me quite a long time to let go of that identity without letting go of the pride of those achievements. Does that make yeah. sense? Totally yeah, so, sense. So, because in the beginning, I was like, well, you're a has-been, you're a nobody now, you're not doing it anymore, you're not current, you, you, you can't coach people if you're not actually doing it. Just stupid thoughts like that, where, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, the coach of the All Blacks isn't still playing rugby, is he? You know? Um, or the coach of whatever the Olympic team is not still doing the whatever the yeah. sport is. Um, you don't have to, but in my mind, if I wasn't at the top of my game, I had no right to be talking to anybody else about it. Um, and 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 that's I think that in, as athletes we have a really hard time leaving it, even though we don't want to be in that sport anymore. And gymnastics, once again, mm. I mean I was only a young girl when I left. I was you know maybe fifteen. But I should have left at 14. That's exactly what I did. Two years. Two yeah. years. I knew. I knew I hated it. I hated it. Yeah, I hated Absolutely it. Absolutely hated it. Yeah. yeah. 
but you don't want to go. You worked so hard, so long, and everybody's telling you you're about to break through and you've got to hang in there and you've come so far. And so all of this is going on in your head and you're thinking, who the hell am I if I'm not doing that? We all go through that. And then you run back. We don't have. Yeah, and you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And and when you're like 15-year-old, everything's dramatic, you know, so, you know, the world's ending. Um, And I I think what's really important from this is that at any age, you can reinvent who you are and where you're going and what's important to you. And you don't have to be the slave of your past or your past achievements. And you don't have to belittle those either. You did those things. You can be proud of those things and you can have new challenges. Like for me now, it's different challenges. It's, it's, um, you know, I want for me personally, for my health, longevity. I want to be healthy. I want to be doing bloody running and, CrossFit at 95 or 105, you know, and I want to live to 150. I want, you know, those are the things, those are the goals that have just changed for me. And then from a, um, a legacy perspective, I want to impact as many people as I can in the world with the work that I'm doing, uh, whether that's epigenetics or my books or my run coaching or speaking, whatever it is, I want to have an impact in the world. So those are the things that are important to me now. So it's not, it doesn't matter that I cannot put, you know, six hours a day into running, you know, that would be ridiculous right now. Yeah. I think this is so important is a lot of the time, like if you're not aware of what's going on in life or how you've grown and how you've evolved, you will somehow keep running the same life, even though the core of you has been like, you know what, these are the new things that are important to you. These are the new values. And you keep going and suddenly you, you kind of run further and further away from yourself. If that makes sense. Yep. And it's, yep. It's, yep. It's and it's really thing. hard to let go. It's just yeah. a really hard transition, but you have the freedom to reinvent yourself at any time. We, any we as human beings. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a serial entrepreneur and done everything from bloody jewelry design and manufacturers, oxygen clinics, through the, you know, production and speaking. And I, I don't let that limit me and who I am and what I'm doing, you know? Like, I, I create my own destiny. In other words, I create my own rules. I don't follow anybody else's rules or I try not to. <laughs> I create yeah. my own path, you know? There's, there's, I love this saying, I was speaking to someone at dinner and I, I, I always, I love the, the quote, which is you can live freely, dangerously, or you can live <laughs> safely, but in a prison. Yeah, and it, exactly. It really is. It's sometimes when you want to go and do the things that you want to do, it does mean being taking risk, being a little bit yep. dangerous. And, but, yep. Okay. And there are times in life where you can take more risks than others. I mean, if you've got little kids and you've got a, you know, big mortgage and a, and a you know, partner or whatever, and, or your parents to look after, like I've got now, um, I can't be off doing my selfish things. And that's okay. I ha- you know, I make my choices. I stand by those choices. I can look myself in the mirror every day and I know that I'm making the right choices. Even if a part of me wants to go, I want to be out there doing something manic you know um so we just have to find our way we're all bloody finding our way through life aren't we we're all just we're all walking each along. other home <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. bumbling along trying to do our best yeah 
I was going to say with this, I'd love to, to speak to you about this because it's, I've never really had someone who's gone from like high athlete, um, such as I was, um, to then kind of being an absolute badass in the business realm. I'd love to know from your kind of journey, what, what would you say like being an athlete has carried over into the way that you like run business, the way that you run are business. in business? Is there certain lessons where you'd say would cross over oh, yeah. or certain things that we can give to our audience? Yeah, and, and you know, with, with mum's journey, that was definitely a one-to-one -one crossover from all those lessons from running that you applied to that situation. And by the same token, in my businesses, many of the skills, resilience and persistence and consistency, I think, are the key factors in business. You know, and, and I've, once again, I've failed in businesses and um, succeeded in others, and I've got a long way to go still to be where I want to be. And um, have the impact that I want to have, um, but I know what my motivations are, and I know the direction I'm going, and it's still an evolving, ever-changing beast, but the, the skills that I have from being an athlete are one-to-one -one transferable into my business. I have to, you know, plan and do, like when you're preparing for an expedition or a big race, it can take like, like the Undertaker story there. It's a, it's a year of your life or it's a year and a half of your life aimed at this one particular day. In business, it can be like that too. You know, you're preparing yeah. yourself, you're getting, your, you know, you're getting all your ducks in a row to maybe, I don't know, release a book. That's two years worth of work, that book. It didn't just appear magically overnight. And there were obstacles either ton along the way and there were moments when you think you're never going to make it um, but you've gone through such processes so many times in your life that you know if you just do what you have to do today that simple small step and don't look at the big picture you just look when when times are tough I pull my focus in so I break it down into steps and this is something that I learned from uh, when I ran through New Zealand for a charity and I had uh, my mum again at the start line with me and I and I've been so busy with the preparation I just run Death Valley I just released a book uh, my second book I was literally so busy that when I got to the start line of running 2250 which I'd never run in that time before that I actually hadn't thought about the actual process of running that distance and what it was going to mean and then on the day of we're actually starting at 6 a.m. and we're down in Bluff, down the bottom of New Zealand, and I'm staring down the barrel of this huge distance. And I had a massive panic attack, like I was an elephant sitting on my chest and I was, you know, just hyperventilating and going, oh my God, I can't do this. And, you know, and I went away from my crew. It? And it's a sudden realization that you were at kilometer one of 2,250. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and up until then, it had been all on, on paper, you know, mm. and I've never run 500 Ks a week. Like that was what I was aiming for. And it was, it ended up taking me a few days longer than I was planning, but it was 70 Ks a day, you know, roughly. And that was a hell of a lot of a load on the body. And I was just like literally having this panic attack. And I went away from my crew in the media and I went behind the car and I had a big crying session and my mum was cuddling me and um, helping me. And, and, I, and I said, mum, I can't do it. I just, this is too big. I, what the hell was I thinking? And, you know, I'll never make it. And she just said to me, hey, focus in. We are only gonna, we're gonna, I want you to think about getting to that first letterbox up there 
I want you to get to that first and I want you to only think from getting out of the start gate, smiling for the cameras and getting through that first half an hour. That's all you have to do right now. And when we get through that first half an hour, then we'll Incredible. look to getting towards lunchtime. And at lunch, you'll have a break and then we'll get back out there and we'll take it one step at a time and keep your focus and close. Best ever advice that a mother could give you. That's you know. Yeah, because you you have to, whenever you have a massive big goal, say you want to make a big company that's going to, I don't know, take over the world and do something amazing, or you want to become a doctor, or you want to, you know, some big, huge, long distance goal that's so far away, and so overwhelming. If you can keep your focus in on the very next step that you have to take, what do you have to do this morning? What do you have to do today? And you start ticking those things off your to-do list and you start getting some momentum and then the panic will ease and the, the fear will ease and you'll be in momentum and you'll be in action. You'll be taking the steps and, and dealing with the obstacles as they come. And they will come, but you don't have to deal with them all today. You only have to deal with today's obstacles today. You know, one day at a time, as I say. It's so true. It's you... When, you, when your goal is so big and in front of you, it comes across like a scary monster and you lose track yep. of those small little daily steps that are going to get you there. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it, that's such amazing advice that your mother gave you yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was full of good little things like that that I've really used over time um, and just breaking everything down into little bite-sized pieces because it is overwhelming. Life can be overwhelming. Yeah. No. Actually, on this note, um, something that I really related to you with, I've, I've done this, I've done a few crazy challenges all over the world myself, where you've kind of been put in the, the black hole, so to speak, and you have to, I really think that when you're in, into a challenge up to your knees, so to speak, and you have to really kind of come face to face with who you are. And sometimes when you're going through that much pain mentally and the, the voice of the devil, so to speak, is telling yep. you that, do you know what I mean? You, mm -hmm. you really are in way yep. over your head here. You, you're going to have yep. to stop. Yep. This, is, this is bigger than you. You have to get creative. And the thing that I love about you is you did something, you do something that I used to do. You imagine a scenario of life or death when you place the motivation and the inspiration yep. outside of yourself. I can remember yep. there's times in my, my own story and I really loved it with your story where you, where you're in such dire straits, where you, where you, t you gamify what you're doing. So it's like, look, I, I think your example was brilliant where it's like, we've just crashed yeah. in a jungle. Yeah. My mother's going to die <laughs> if I don't get her um, somewhere, but I've got to run the 200 miles or else she's going to she's gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very rare. Like, I've, I've never heard someone else research. really speak about that. And, but, that's, I, but the thing that I related to, I used, I've done similar things in the past where I gamify or I make something up in my head to kind of yep. get me through what's going on. Or the pain really is temporary, isn't it? And when you're in that black hole, it's kind of... It's forever. <laughs> yeah, it is. It seems like forever when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Every but, minute's for an eternity but yeah you're so right and, and and i've never actually come across someone else who's done that but i it is i i would picture you know when you get to that point in a, in a race or an event or whatever where you're thinking there is i cannot even take one more step and there's no way yeah. forward and i'm i'm done that if if it, i would ask myself if someone's life depended on it who i loved would i take that next step 
And when love is the motivating factor, I tell you, you pull out things that you would never pull out. And if you can find that motivation, and that is the hard part, finding that, that trigger and delving into that deep emotion, then you can pull out the last resources out of yourself to make yourself get there, if that makes sense, and get you over that hump. Because usually what you find is you're in the, you're in the worst point right there. And if you can just get over the next hill or maybe an hour or two down the track, and then all of a sudden you're back, you know, and, and ultras does that to you. And the longer the ultra goes, the more the highs and the lows start lows. coming at you more and more sort of in a constantine fashion if you like and it can just help a, you through those yeah. i think that's such an amazing thing with life as well i think sometimes you have to be in so much pain to tap into a part of you that you never knew exist yeah. and to explore yeah. that i think that's a real big thing but the thing is well yeah. like when you think about it, like that's actually scientifically proved so for example when there's little old ladies yeah so there's there's actually science so for example eddie hall Eddie Hall, yeah. when he did his world record deadlift, imagines he's lifting something off his daughter. That's in the scenario that he plays in his head. Wow. So exactly when he's going... Same. Exactly the same thing, but it's actually proven. So there's um, the science that when this is actually a real life event, so if you can think of a mother and a child's been hit by a car and to save the, the child's life, she's got to lift the car. There's actually stories yeah. of people who tap into... in like unhuman levels of strength and potential yep. because yep. something so important has been in there where it activates all of the nervous system. And there's actually, yep. there's actually real stories. Of Science this. behind it. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause you, you put you, you, cause you have in your brain a survival mechanism. And so the survival mechanism stops you tapping into those last reserves. Yeah. But if you can override that because it, in your mind, it's life and death. Then you can you can you can override it. So when in ultra marathon running, for example, they call this the central governor. Um, and basically, what happens after your body reaches the point where of you know complete exhaustion, your mind starts to shut your muscles down so that you cannot actually move. You know, like you can't recruit yeah. the muscles, and that's why you get this really stiff little weird looking gait on. Um, and it's a survival mechanism where you get the ultra shuffle, as they call it. Is that what they call it? Uh, where you can, uh, yeah, where you can hardly move and you just look like this weird little, little robot that's uh, waddling along somehow. Um, and, and it's the body's attempt to stop you because you, it, it thinks you're going to kill it. So yeah. it's trying to stop you physically and it actually stops you recruiting. Like it will not let you recruit the muscles. And one of the ways around that for, for ultra marathon um, is to do a walk run based um, combination. So oh. if you build in little segments of walking, you will find that you can run a lot further before that central governor will shut you, start to shut you down. It'll come eventually anyway, but you'll delay that onset, if that makes yeah. sense. So your, your brain and your subconscious do things that you're not aware of on this level, you know? And in and, and that um, lifting a car off a person scenario, my brother did that. He came across an accident and there was someone trapped under a car and he's a big man, but he picked up a, you know, a whole car and got them off and we don't know how we how he did it you know but he was motivated fully motivated it wouldn't have mattered if he you know busted his back he would have done yeah. it so he was going all in all the fibers in his body were ready for that 
that moment. And you can't yeah. pull that out of yourself regularly, but you can on occasion and when you really, really need to. That's what I love about this whole conversation. I really like this when you, you, you learn to tap into parts of yourself, that really is it. And I, the, the beautiful thing about the, the brain and psychology, the conscious, subconscious, XYZ, is your brain actually doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. Yeah. And Isn't I think if cool? you can get so good at imagining scenarios which allow you to tap into like unhuman levels of potential and power, you, you're unstoppable yeah. without that, it actually having to play itself out in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the power of visualization, which is a well-known tool and one that I've certainly used in the preparation to events is you see yourself at the finish line. You see yourself running across and being a superhuman and amazing and doing really, really well. And that when you do it over and over in your brain, it's already, your brain goes, well, I've already been here, done that. So got this, got this one sussed. That's fine. You know, so you're practicing and making it a reality in your head. And I, I had that very conversation on an interview I did this morning about the power of visualization to help you through when you don't believe and you start to do these visualization practices and you see yourself in that event or that race or that board meeting or that phone call, whatever it is, yep. and you see yourself being successful and you see yourself being strong. And in this, you are you are a superhero. You don't have human limitations. You can be however you want to be and you create that story in your mind and that story gets played over and over the repetition and it becomes a groove in your brain you know those neural networks are actually firing they've done um studies i can't uh, tell you where but I, I know there's been studies of of people who practice in the head like playing the piano or playing the guitar and they're not actually doing it the practice but they're just doing it in their head yeah. and it's firing the same signals to their hands and then when you put the guitar or the piano or whatever it was, you know, on they they are they are at the level of as if they had been practicing for, because the brain doesn't know the difference. You're doing it in your head, you know. And this is why you see elite athletes at the Olympics, and you watch uh, something like um, high jumpers or pole vaulters, and you see them as they're preparing and they're focused and they're like you can see them doing this in the moment and I love watching that you can see them running it through in their heads and then doing it and then they take off because they have just accomplished this and their body knows it it has that muscle memory and then they go that's beautiful to watch I love it so true the, the thing that's just jumped to my head there have you seen um I don't know if it's free solo that Alex Honnell the guy who did it was like El Capitan or something with no safety ropes have oh. you seen that um, I have seen, I've seen someone Was it Yosemite? Of, yeah, something like, yeah, I, I, it rings yeah. a bell, rings a bell, it's but I can't Al remember Alex the name Honnell. of it. And basically, okay. he's, he knows he's going to do it, but the, the whole thing through that documentary is when. And there's wow. just video clips of him for like hours and hours, just on days, going through the course, like wow. at the bottom, knowing what he's going to go and do. And then it just comes to a point where he does the whole thing on the ground one day and he's like, no, I'm going to do it tomorrow. He's like, ready. He's wow. like, he's, he's done it that much without actually doing it that he just goes and then he climbs up the biggest, what is it? Flat face without any Same. safety, just chalk. <laughs> In the quickest <laughs> and, and, and time ever achieved as well. Wow. That's like taking it to the next level. I had an interview with um, Wayne Gardner. He was a um, world champion motorcyclist back in the what was it, 80s. Uh, yep. or, or early 90s, I can't 
remember now. Um, and he, we, we talked about this visualization and he did it as part of the psychological training. So those guys are going at incredible, I don't know, 300 bloody Ks an hour or something ridiculous on yeah. motorcycles, right? Around these incredible bends. And he said he had, he would practice the, the route for each of the races over and over and over in his head with his psych coach yeah. and stuff. So that he knew exactly like, yeah, when to bend and when to twist. And he knew it down to the millisecond. And he said his body was on autopilot. And when, for what be for you and for me, if we were to sit on that motorbike, it'd be just a blur and a, like a, you know, incredibly, we wouldn't be able to take it all in. But because he had trained his mind so, so many times, it was all slow motion for him. And he yeah. could know when, and he said it was like everything was just happening in slow motion. And he knew exactly where to put his weight and where to, how to turn things. Um, and of course, you know, he won the, the world championship. Um, it's really like and he was one of the state first of flow. ones. Yeah, flow that, oh, that flow state, exactly. Yeah, good point. That's a good yeah. point. It is flow state. And, and to get to that requires mastery and thousands and thousands of hours of, of repetition to get to that beautiful yeah. flow state. Please okay. look, totally want to respect your time. I really could just keep speaking to you on a million different points that we're going into here. So <laughs> we could do one, this again. One mate. show of many. Oh, straight up. Definitely. That, that's going to happen for sure. Um, <laughs> first things first, before I go into the key questions we round up on, I want to know what's next. Is there a next for you? Is business the next thing for you? Is there something, is there a niggle in there that's kind of like, hey, Lise? It's... For me, it is about uh, business. I want to grow an, uh, uh, an impactful empire. I want to, and I don't mean that in a, in a monetary sense, or that, that would be fantastic as well, um, but more in the impact that I'm having. You know, so I want to, I run courses in epigenetics. I run courses in uh, mindset and run coaching. I want to write more books. I want to do more speaking. I want to travel the world when this COVID thing's over and, and do more speaking internationally. I want to have a bigger impact. I want to leave an, a legacy. I don't want to get to the end of my days because what I'm feeling like at the moment is I'm running out of time. And so I'm in this sort of state of, I've got to go faster. I've got to do more, you know, and I want to achieve more. And I've got to pull myself back because I know I have this, dopamine reward thing going on I, I've just got to be chasing something all the time and sometimes I've got to learn to sit down and just breathe and just chill and oh. actually experience that's a really hard one I want to speak to about that that's what I want to yep. speak about next yeah, yeah okay because that's that's <laughs> that's something I struggle with so. but um yeah and, and, and on a sporting sense I I want to I want to be when I'm you know 100 plus as fit and as strong and as capable as I am now. That is, that is my sporting goal. I haven't got a um, competition goal per se right now. That might change. But right now it's about I, I want my body to be optimal. So I, I'm into biohacking. I have hyperbaric chambers. I have ozone. I have, um, you know, every gadget now to ban in my house. <laughs> it looks like a... <laughs> Awesome. I have a stream here. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm really into all that. That's that's my passion and my love. And I'm studying. Uh, so you're optimizing you so that you can give more to everyone else. Yes. So yeah. Exactly. And I can help other people with that information as well. I'd love to speak to you. You've just picked up on something there. 
which was um, you always feel like you have to be chasing something. Now, for yeah. me, this is something I've, I've come to the conclusion of recently, and that, that was a, a big thing for me, especially like this year. So last year, I was like, Do you know what? I'm just going to hit pause. I'm going to have a bit of a reset. I'm going to work out the things what I want to do here and where I'm going to go, and it's time for me to kind of set the foundations for the next chapter. Brilliant. And that was, it took me 29 years to get to that point. <laughs> but um, I, you just hit the nail on the head and that's the realization I had. And we've never really had that. When you are someone who's been always chasing goals from a young age, chasing the dream of the Olympics, chasing the dream and chasing the challenges and the adventures of running the Sahara that like you face, you've run a lot of places that's, and there's been yeah. a lot of big goals. But you men, your mindset gets set in that it really does and i really really struggled to find stillness i yes. could sit still me too but my brain would be no we need to do this we've got to do this for tomorrow because it's pre preparation for this and I, I genuinely think it took me to like i had to go and do some crazy things to kind of learn how to quiet the mind like there was one period yeah. when i ended up in a buddhist monk monastery awesome <laughs> do you know what i mean but um yeah yeah how, how no, have you found stillness? Me. Yeah, but it, it got to the point where I was like, why can I not sit still? Like, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I'd love to know from your, is that something, are you it's, getting it's, through that it, or are you there? It's a work in progress there, Simon. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> like my brother said to me the other day, like, why are you always on a freaking mission? Like, can't you just sit down and enjoy a day at the beach or something? You know, like, can't you just no. chill? <laughs> It's like asking the table not to be flat, you know, like I, that, is, that is who I am and I understand. So now that I'm studying uh, functional genomics and epigenetics and qualified as epigenetics and stuff, I um, did some genes, the combination of genes that I've got is really, really interesting. So there's a, um, the DRD2 gene, right? This is your dopamine without getting too sciencey on you, but this is your dopamine, your reward, risk, uh, your re reward, pleasure, uh, neurotransmitter. Dog chasing a bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I have the lowest dopamine oh, receptor variant of the of this gene. So what that means is that I don't get the satisfaction very well. Like I, I will have, wow. I'm chasing it, and I get a little dopamine hit, and then it's gone out of the body very quickly and processed out very quickly and then I'm chasing the next thing and the next thing and so I'm on this constant hamster wheel of chasing dopamine so now I'm starting to understand what's going on in my in my brain right and now I'm, I'm starting to look at these other genes uh, the BDNF gene which I have a good variation of that's like your the healthier brain and you you know it's like your oil for the wiring of your brain and your mood and all these things but when you start to look at your serotonin genes, your uh, adrenaline genes, your dopamine, uh, all of these ones start to build a picture of your personality and you can start to see how you are made and why you think like you do and then what you can do to start to balance the books, if you like. Um, would so you, like you say you, that dopamine thing as well is that why yeah. you've maybe in your life been drawn towards these outrageous challenges because for you the bigger the challenge the bigger the hit of the, re the, the reward dopamine. is that kind of what's yeah. made you, you i think that's definitely a part of it and then also i have a lot of adrenaline <laughs> so um, yeah so i have a, a, a been exposed to a lot of adrenaline one of the markers of that is if you're 
ring finger is a lot longer than your index finger, right? Um, then you've probably been exposed to a fair amount of testosterone and adrenaline. And those are oh, two things. No actually taking, yeah. So the you, the ring it? finger is bigger than... Yeah, the ring finger is bigger than the index finger. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, you've got it, you've got it. Woo. Okay, so that means you have, <laughs> Adrenaline junkies. Yeah, you'll be like me. Yeah, we're adrenaline junkies. That's exactly right. So we got that adrenaline, and then you got the dopamine one in combination. That makes a really interesting combination, right? Because then you're like, you, you're you wanting to take action. You love the excitement and the fear and the, the, the almost that anxiety of the whole thing. You start, and, you, and that's tied up with your dopamine. Mm. So like, when you start to study this, the, the, the thing that comes out of it is that, holy crap, we are controlled by neurotransmitters and the emotions that are in the hormones that are coming out and, and all of this. So when you start to unravel it, and I'm still learning this stuff, um, you start to put the pieces about how you function and how other people function. So uh, I'll give you an example. My husband, he's a firefighter. Um, he's got the I, I've variant of the AD2B gene. Now, that will make no sense to you. But what that means is that when he releases adrenaline, it is very quickly processed out of the body. Now, that means he is very cool cucumber under pressure. So he's a firefighter, and when he yeah. gets into a dangerous situation, he does not turn into a cabbage head. He is very calm. He is very cool because he's not being controlled by a whole ton of adrenaline, right? So it's processed out. They call that the warrior gene as in the you know warrior fighter um and those people are not predisposed to a heck of a lot of ptsd right because they don't make strong memory imprints and the they don't have a strong emotional yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly now if you've got the opposite variant so like uh, my mum then you'll be more anxious and a little bit more worried they call that the worry gene you know, and when you combine that with other ones, then you start to make a picture of who you are. So a lot of what we are and who we are, we need to understand ourselves and then also how do we control that and how do I become the boss rather than my chemistry becoming the boss of who I am. So for me, that looks like doing things like um, I need movement all the time. So if I'm sitting for too long, I need to get up and move at least for five to 10 minutes every hour so that I can control the amount of adrenaline in my body and I can release the anxiety. And then I do like 10 to 15 times a day, some deep breathing exercises. And again, that stimulates my parasympathetic nervous system and it calms me down and it helps me keep a control of my emotions. Now, as a young lady, I wasn't able to do that. I didn't know all of that sort of stuff. So I didn't know how to control some of my anger outbursts or my need to, to actually get physically you know do something and burn off the adrenaline and cortisol and and i didn't know how to manage myself and so you know you'd end up having a, a a bad temper and you know things like that um so now you've got these tools in the toolbox so this is why this sort of stuff is just fascinating for me because it helps me understand myself it helps me understand the people i'm coaching and helps explain human behavior and you start to understand other people more. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. You know, I, there's um, so much power in yeah. knowing why you do what you do and understanding why people do what they do. I think you become a very, yeah. I don't want to use the word dangerous, but you, you, you can understand a lot when you, when you get that. Well, you become empathetic too. You become yeah. more compassionate. Like it used to drive me nuts. For example, that my husband, 
he's uh, from an epigenetic point of view, he's a diplomat, so it's a type of person, right? So these are uh, people who are very slow and methodical, they think things through. He's like really hard to get moving, but once he's like a cruise ship, really hard to get out of the harbor, but once they're on a mission, you can't stop them. But it would yeah. take him months <laughs> to do a project, right? So, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm an adrenaline person and a take action person, and ten, got um, quite a lot of testosterone. Get the idea and shoot. And so that means, go. Yeah, like, Oh, great idea. <laughs> Off next minute, I'm on there. Yeah, I'm doing it like you probably. If you're a gymnast, you're very likely to be what they call an activator. So, um, yeah, I bet you, you're one of those. Um, and so now I know that I have to give him a four to six week lead up time for any project that I want done. Okay. And that's hard for me because I don't plan ahead very well. But I know that if I ask him to build a fence in the garden, then it won't happen for at least two months. Yeah. And so I have to plan that into my, what I want him to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it makes you also aware of his skill set. For example, he can look at the you know technology and analyze things and very methodical. And I'm a complete chaotic mess, you know, because I, I'm like ah, 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 running all over the place and excited. And I love variety and change. So when you understand the good, the bad, and the ugly of who you are and of your your friends and your colleagues, then you have a lot more power as a team, whether it's in a marriage or in a corporate situation, to get the best out of each other. Totally agree. Without killing each other. <laughs> totally agree. I think I'm probably the same profile as you from what you've just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I could almost, like, how, how, may I ask how tall you are? 5'11". 5'11", and you're quite a very muscular build. I'm 90 kilograms. Yeah, I use yeah. 86, so you 90. Like, have, you got a very, have you got a very developed, sorry for these personal questions, but have you got a very developed calf muscle? Yeah. That's one of the signs. Huge. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're an activator. <laughs> so uh, uh, at some stage, I should take you through our epigenetic program and tell you what that means and what, and, you know, how that could, how you can start to understand yourself better because it would be fascinating. I think I've come and into what nutrition. I, I think I've what heard this chrono. profile. It's the one who gets things yeah, started, pretty, but then if he doesn't, amazing. yeah, I, yeah, interesting. Well, this yep. is definitely and, material and, for another um, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, is a, this is another episode. <laughs> we do an episode on epigenetics. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. We should, we should just drop the mic right there. <laughs> yeah, we'll just set it up for a day. Let's just do a day, yeah, day submersive. Do a masterclass. So, Lisa, look, like, like I was trying to say, I don't think this will be. This is definitely not the last chat we're going to have on this show. I can tell you nah. that right now. Nah. But um, no. I'd love to know. No, I can't wait so, for you to be on mine. Oh, I appreciate that. But I'd love to know. I always round up on these questions because I, I really like to kind of reflect things back to people. And I'd love to know, yeah. like Lisa now, 51, you blew me away with, I would not have thought you were that age at all. Thank you, you hate I want to you say to that. Think, <laughs> I, want, yeah, I want you to think, think to a time when you were younger or when you were in a race and you were kind of like, you'd hit the bottom. But I want you to think of something that's a yeah. vivid memory. And you, Lisa, now, as you are with all the wisdom you've gained, all the learning, all the mentors you've had, all of these extreme challenges and accomplishments you've had, could walk back into that picture. You could get little Lisa's hands and you could look her in the eye and give <laughs> little Lisa 
one bit of life <laughs> advice that would set her up for now, what would you speak? Oh, wow. Um, I reckon I would go back actually before the, the races and all the rest of the stuff that I'd done. And I'd actually go back to when I was really young and I was in the, you know, gymnastics days or early 20s in my formative years, if you like. And I was so focused on trying to please everybody and trying to prove that I was cool and trying to prove that I was tough and trying to please personally my dad and then the boyfriends that I had. If I could go back, I would say focus, and I probably wouldn't listen to myself, by the way, but if I could go back, I would say, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Focus in on becoming you first rather than trying to um, fall in love and find the perfect man and you know do all of that sort of stuff when you weren't ready to love yourself yet. You know, I, I, I wish I could I wish I hadn't spent so much time and energy in relationships. I wish I'd put more time into my own development first, if that makes sense. And I wish I could go back to that little girl and say, you are okay as you are. You don't need to prove anything to anybody. And you're cool just as the way you are. So don't listen to all the crap that they tell you. <laughs> Lisa, I, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Um, and then also on that, if we could give you a device, and this device could speak a message to every single human being on the planet, what would be oh, the wow. message which you put on that device to help them within their lives or where they're at? Crikey. You know, I think that's a big one. And one message that I could get across is that it's, it's okay to just live your life full bore, going full in on everything that you're passionate about and never, ever giving up. You know, when the odds are stacked against you, when everyone's telling you no, and when, when, when things are looking really hard and you've got lots of obstacles and lots of naysayers in your environment, rise above all of them, try and push them down and find that little inner voice that says, nah, and I can and I will and I'm going to show you and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to do this for me you know, and not giving in, you know, sometimes you can beat the odds. My story with my mum is a, is a prime example of being able to overcome huge odds to achieve something amazing. I mean, you know, amazing for our family. We've got my mum back. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful for every single day that I, that I get with her. And, and if I hadn't had that don't give up mentality, no matter how bad things are looking, then I don't think we'd be where we are. So that would be my message. I absolutely love that. That is like my motto in life is live life full bore. Live dangerously, yeah. live freely, yes. take risks and make shit happen, period. Yep, make shit happen. Make shit happen. <laughs> and, and then Lisa, final question, which is, what does it mean to you to be able to lead a nourished life? Well, it, it, it means that I love my myself and I uh, can accept my my good, my bad and the ugly of, of who I am and that I have the support around me of wonderful people and family. I've come to 
like that. And life keeps throwing challenges. It will always keep throwing challenges. But um, I think, you know, having that support network and loving myself is the biggest thing. And it's taken a very long time. And I still have moments where I don't. But, you know, overall, I'm in a much, much better space. And that's to me, is, is living a nourished life, which I love that title, by the way. Very cool. Amazing. <laughs> Lisa, look, I, I genuinely have, like, you're a person who I could just sit and speak to all day with regards to lessons, challenges, everything that you've done, and just keep pulling at different strands and information. As I've kept saying through this, this is definitely going to be the, the last time that we have you on. But Lisa, where can everyone find you? Where do you hang around online? Where can people yeah. have a look at the book yep. and maybe get the book? Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, um, my website is probably the best place to start with, uh, lisatamati.com. So that's T-A-M-A-T-I, lisatamati.com. Uh, that houses all my programs, my books, uh, you know, my shop and, and all of the podcasts, uh, Pushing the Limits, um, that you can check out that uh, Simon's going to be on shortly. And also um, on Instagram, I'm really active, at Lisa Tamati, and on Facebook and on YouTube. I have a pretty major YouTube channel with major being, don't have a heck of a lot of subscribers, but have a hell of a lot of videos and a lot of documentaries of the my The documentaries so, um, are incredible. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've actually, cool... like, I've enjoyed thoroughly watching them like they've engaged oh, really? me all the way through yeah phenomenal awesome uh, uh, well you're just a really good person to be watching those <laughs> sorts of things because you get it you get it you know what it takes to, to to do that and to be an athlete and stuff so you appreciate those so yeah if anyone wants to watch those they can find me on youtube just uh look up lisa tarmody and you'll find all my my stuff there so i really appreciate the opportunity simon um to be on your show and to talk to your audience and can't wait to have you on mine and i think we're going to be friends from here on in 100%, lisa look thank you so much for for coming on the show right you're absolutely incredible an amazing inspiration and proofs in the pudding with what you've done oh thank you mate i really appreciate the chance to talk to you and to get to know what you're doing and yeah like i said can't wait to talk more